Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. What is an honor to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Pastor Steve and Rachel are out of town this weekend at a pastor's retreat, and so I'm thankful to him for giving me the opportunity to share with you this morning. Would you pray with me again? Father, now, as we come to the time where your word will be proclaimed, God, I pray that you would be glorified. May this word bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. You know, life is filled with a series of commitments. Many of us in the room are married, and that's a great commitment that we have made. We've chosen to commit ourselves to our spouses for life. A number of us in this room today are parents, and we've committed ourselves to raising our children and to providing for them and raising them up in the, in the ways of the Lord and teaching them right and wrong. Almost everyone in here is either currently committed to working at a job or maybe you are retired and you spent many years working uh, a job, but you were committed to your employer and being a good employee. A number of people show commitment when they take part in different recreational activities. Those that play sports are involved in various teams. You show commitment by putting in the time and the, and the work to become a better athlete so that you can help contribute on the ball field or on the court. We show commitment when we choose to accept the call to follow Jesus. When you come forward and seek membership at First Baptist Church, you're making a commitment. We have commitments that we make every day. But it seems like in our world today that this word commitment has almost taken a place where it's carry, it carries a negative connotation. Many people don't like the word commitment today. It's come to be viewed almost as a bad thing. It's become associated with things like inconvenience or even restrictions. But you see, commitments come down to a matter of priority. When we talk about commitments, what we're really talking about is what we prioritize in life. You see, we commit ourselves to things that we deem as valuable, things that we deem as being worthy of our time, of our energy, and of our resources. Commitment to God is arguably the most important commitment that one can make in life. It's the most important commitment that one can make in life, to choose to commit themselves into a relationship with God. But yet, it seems like so few are willing to make that commitment. It's becoming more and more evident in our world today that people take these other commitments, which I mentioned, marriage, parenthood, jobs, recreational activities, take them more seriously than their commitment to Jesus Christ and to his body, the local church. This morning, 
through the proclamation of God's word, I hope that you will see that God is calling us, his people, to a greater level of commitment. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 24. Joshua 24, and today we will look at verses 14 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, you'll notice in the chair in front of you, there's a Bible there. Please uh, feel free to use that. Again, if you don't have your own Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. And so if you don't have a Bible, please see me after the church, after church, and we can get you one of those. Joshua here in the chapter in chapter 24 is nearing the very end of his life, and he knows it. And he wants to leave Israel with one last message, one last set of instructions. And in this passage, it's obvious that Joshua has seen some things in the children of Israel that disturb him greatly and that he feels like he needs to address. And specifically, he is concerned about Israel's lack of commitment to Yahweh. So in the time that we have remaining, let us examine Joshua's challenge to the people of Israel. And in that, I hope we see that that challenge that he made so many thousands of years ago is still a challenge that God is issuing to his people, even in our own day. And so as we work through this text, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I all in with God? Am I all in with God? So if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, would you please stand? Joshua chapter 24 beginning in verse 14, God's word says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods in the of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight. And preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen for yourself the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, 
Put away the foreign gods which, you are, which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Before we get into this, into this part of the text, I want to give you a little bit of background information of what Joshua has said previously in the first part of this text in verses 1 through 13. Joshua recounts God's direction of Israel throughout their history. In verse 2, he begins by reminding them of where they have come from. He reminds them of how their forefathers actually were pagans. He references Terah, the father of Abraham, and how when he lived in the land beyond the river in the land of Mesopotamia, Terah, along with his sons, the eldest being Abraham, worshipped false gods. In verses 3 through 4, he talks about how God called Abraham out of this land. He called him out from worshiping false gods and how he led Abraham into the land of Cana. And how during that time, God blessed Abraham with descendants. In verses 5 through 7, Joshua recounts how God delivered the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. And then in 8 8 through 13, he reminds them how God brought them into the promised land and how as God brought them in, he made them victorious over the people of the land. During that time, the Lord had blessed the children of Israel with all that was in the land. They dwelled in cities that they had captured. They enjoyed the fruits of the vineyards and the olive groves that the previous inhabitants of the land had planted. All of that being considered, he's telling them, after all of that, why would you not want to serve Yahweh? Why would you not commit yourself? Just look at all he's done for you. And I think what he's saying is, is the call to commit oneself to God is a logical one. It's logical. As a result of all that the Lord had done for the children of Israel, it's only logical that they would make the decision to follow after him. So let us look now in verse 14 at the call to commitment. Verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua begins here by giving a series of commands to the people. First, he says, Fear the Lord. Now, this word fear does not mean fear in the sense of being afraid. It's more of feelings of respect and having a reverence of God, being in awe of Him. Another translation could be, Now therefore revere the Lord. Basically, to treat God with the utmost respect. This is the proper attitude of all who would answer the call to follow Jesus. You see, it's an attitude of humble submission. It's one that recognizes that he is God and we are not. It's an attitude of one who would submit every area of their life to the Lord and to his authority. So he says, fear the Lord. He also says, serve him. 
which means carry out his wishes, do what he asks. And how are we to serve him? He says to serve him in sincerity. Serving him with insincerity means serving him with integrity. This means serving him honestly, exhibiting our devotion to him. So we're called to serve him in sincerity, and he also says serve him in truth, meaning faithfulness, or there needs to be a dependability to our service. A part of that, he says, put away the gods which your father served. Put away means to change direction or to abandon. Put away means to stop or to remove something. This here was a call for, of, to Israel to renounce any other loyalties that they had to any false gods and to exclusively embrace Yahweh. He says, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river. Again, a reference to the very the beginnings of their line and to Abraham's family as they served these false gods in Mesopotamia. But the next one is really interesting. He says, put, put behind you, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. You know, I've, I've read this passage many times over the years, but I've never paid attention to the fact that he talked about put, the, put away the gods in Egypt. This is significant because basically what he's saying here is that during the time of their bondage in Egypt, the Israelites had gotten off track. They had moved away from serving Yahweh and they had begun to adopt the practices of the Egyptians, whereby they were even worshiping Egyptian gods. Remember, each one of the ten plagues against Egypt was specifically targeted at certain gods, little g, of the Egyptians. So it made me think that obviously not only were the ten plagues um, a condemnation against the Egyptian gods and to show the Egyptians that Yahweh was all-powerful, but maybe it was also for the Israelites' benefit so that they could see you're wasting your time with these little g gods because these little g gods are nothing. You should be serving me, Yahweh, the one true God, and me alone. Verse 15, arguably the most famous verse, maybe in the book of Joshua, period, but definitely in chapter 24, verse 15, it says, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. You know, this verse holds a very special place in my heart because 24 years ago, as a 16-year-old young man, I stood on the campus of John Brown University in Siloam Springs, Arkansas at a youth camp. And God put this verse before me and challenged me that I needed to make a choice that day in my life. You see, a few years prior to this event, I had felt God's call on my life to surrender my life to ministry. But I did not immediately accept that call. In fact, I fought that call for a couple of years. I didn't want to commit to serving God in full-time ministry. All my life, my father had drilled into me the need to do well in school. 
to go on and further my education so that I could get a job that paid a lot of money so that I wouldn't have to do the kind of back-breaking labor that my father has had to do his whole life. And that's what he always impressed upon me. And so my plan for my life was one day I was going to go to school and I was going to become a lawyer because I wanted to make big bucks. I knew lawyers made big bucks. And I knew that pastors did not make big bucks, and so I did not want to be a pastor. And that was my thought. But yet God was continuing to press upon me this call on my life, but yet I fought it. You see, I believed that I could still be faithful to God, still be a faithful Christian, but yet do, you know, what I wanted to do, to pursue what the world deemed as successful. And I remember one night at youth camp, God confronted me with this verse. He told me I had to choose. He said, you can go your way and experience all that the world has to offer, or you can go my way and experience what I have for you to do. And obviously, as you know, I made the choice and the rest is history. And here I stand before you today. And Joshua is, make, is putting to the Israelites this choice. You make this choice today. It's almost as if, I like how one of the commentators said it, Joshua was saying, quote, if serving Yahweh is not for you, then choose today who you will serve. Basically, he's saying, stop riding the fence. Get off the fence and make a choice. You cannot have one foot over here with these false little G gods and one foot over here with Yahweh. And I would ask you today, are we not guilty of the very same thing? Where we want to have one foot over here in the world and then one foot over here with the Lord. And we try to straddle the fence. And church, I would say today, God is asking us the same question. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to be committed to today? Now, it's, it's very interesting when you look at this challenge. At first glance, it almost seems like he's telling them that they need to choose either between one false god or another, right? Because what does he say? Choose who you will serve, either the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, right? The gods of your past or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living in. Well, is Joshua really seriously pushing them towards picking one of these gods? That, that couldn't be a choice, right? He doesn't want them to serve one of these false gods. Well, of course, the answer is clearly no. What he's doing here is he's speaking in a way that will provide shock value, right? Because the idea that any Israelite who would be listening to this would decide against Yahweh, who had blessed them, blessed the nation to serve these false non-gods, little g, it would be absurd. And that's the point Joshua's trying to make. To serve anyone or any other thing other than Yahweh is absurd. It's pointless. Joshua wants them to see that Yahweh is the only one who is worthy of their worship, worthy of their devotion, worthy of committing to. And I would say today, the same goes for us. So just as Joshua recounted to them all that God had done 
for them. I want to ask you today, tell me, what has God done for you? How has God blessed you? Okay, so right now, this is going to be audience participation, okay? So in, in a word or two, no more than a sentence, all right? Not, not testimony, full testimony time, but in a word or a sentence, tell me, what has God done for you? What has he done for you? Saved you. He brought you an awesome wife. <laughs> Somebody must have been in the doghouse getting some props. No, no, <laughs> no. You did, you're right. Amen. You did, God did bring you an awesome wife. What else? What has he done? Helped you. What else? Salvation, right? So, I mean, here, here are the testimonies. Listen to what God has done for us. Why would we not choose to commit our lives to him? To serve him and to serve him alone. That's the point that Joshua is trying to make here with the children of Israel. And then, of course, arguably the most famous part of this verse is the very end, right? Joshua tells them, choose this day whom you will serve. One of these guys, if you're going to choose one of these, then choose them. But what? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is taking his stand right here. He's saying, I don't care what anybody else has to say. I don't care what anybody else does. But I know what I'm doing. Y'all can do what you want. But I'm telling you what I'm doing right now. I am taking my stand with the Lord. Joshua is staking his claim. He's putting down that flag, right? Saying, I am with the Lord. As the saying goes, he's hitching his wagon to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. So this phrase, we will serve the Lord, it's in the imperfect, which means that it is an action that can be viewed in process in the past, in the present, and also in the future. So it's, it's as if Joshua is saying, we've been serving God already, right? We've, we've been serving him. We're currently serving him, and we're going to continue to serve him going forward. Again, it's like, it's almost as if he's saying, I don't care what anyone else around me says or does, but my family and I, we're serving Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Our loyalties lie with him. And church, may that be so of us today. I don't care what the world's doing. I don't care what the world's saying. I've made the decision to follow Jesus. My family has made the decision to follow Jesus. We're staking our claim. May that be said of us today. And notice the people's response to this challenge in verses 16 and 18 through 18. The people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So basically what we have here is he puts forth this challenge to them and he says, 
Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people, in a sense, say, amen, brother. Amen. And notice what they say. Far be it from us. Basically, what they're saying here is, we would never forsake God. We would never leave God to serve these other gods. Church, I want to tell you today, be careful using the word never. Saying that you will never do this or never do that. You see, the Israelites, they were adamant about their fidelity to Yahweh. They even recount all that Yahweh has done for them throughout their history. And they proclaim that he is their God. But yet, do you see the problem here? Their own statement stands as evidence against them. The very fact that Joshua is even having this conversation with them proves the opposite, right? It shows that they're already serving other gods and not Yahweh. You know, one might think that Joshua would have been overjoyed when the people responded in such a positive manner, right? I mean, it's like a pastor. As a pastor's preaching, pastor wants to hear amens, right? He makes statements, and, and when, the, when the people say amen, you know, it makes the pastor feel good. <laughs> Thank you. But you got to wonder, are people saying amen because they really mean amen? Which, what does amen mean? Amen means, and let it be so. So when the pastor says something and you say amen, you're saying, and let it be so. So are you really amening? Or are you just amening because you think that's what the pastor wants to hear? So what were the people doing? Were they saying amen because they really believed, yes, Yahweh is the only one that we need to serve? Or is it because they wanted to just, you know, give him what he wanted to hear? Joshua knows his people. He knows the hearts of them. And basically he's saying, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you get it. Look what he says in 19 through 20. This is astonishing. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is holy. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. I like to call these the not so fast verses. Not so fast. They just proclaimed, yes, we choose Yahweh. He is our God. Joshua says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, not so fast. Again, can you imagine the shock on the people of Israel's face when he said that? I mean, what was going through their minds? I mean, you can almost see it when he says, you will not be able to serve the Lord. It's like when you have a balloon that's filled up with air and you just kind of slowly let the air out, right? It just deflates. I can almost see these guys, you know, they're, they're excited. They're pumped up, you know? And then he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you're not, going to be able to, you're not going to be able to serve God. And I'm sure the air was just taken out of them at that moment. In a sense, what he's saying is, what you've just promised is impossible. Well, how can he say that? You see, the key to understanding Joshua's statements here is found in the two statements that he makes about God's character. He says that God is holy. What does that mean? It means that he is like no other. He is one of a kind. In Psalm 89, 6-8, the Bible says, For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A great 
a God, excuse me, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. He says he's a holy God, but he also says that he is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. Basically, what this means is that God will not allow any competition for his people's loyalties. We see this in the second commandment in Exodus chapter 20, 4 through 6. God's word says, You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I would say it like this, church. You can't flirt with God. God does not take to our flirting. Imagine a husband that told his wife, you know, I'm committed to you, and I'm, I'm committed to our marriage, but I'd like to see some other women on the side. You know, it's not serious. I'm still committed to you. I have no, I have no plans to leave our marriage, but I want to see some other women as well. Would that be okay? How's that going to go over? As one brother used to say, that dog don't hunt, right? It's not going to go over. But yet, is that not what we do to God? When we're not fully committed, right? When we're over here flirting with God, you know, okay, God, you know, I'm going to spend some time with you today, but tomorrow I got some other things to do, right? We're doing the very same thing. If a wife will not share her husband with another woman, how much more will God not share his people with these false little G gods? Verse 19 is kind of a shocking statement here. He makes a shocking statement in it. He says, he will not forgive your transgressions of your sins. How can Joshua say that? God has already proven himself to be a God who does forgive sins, and he will go forward in, throughout Scripture, and we see that he's a forgiving God. So how can he say he's not going to forgive you of his sins? Well, once again, Joshua is speaking for shock value. He's speaking in hyperbole. What he's basically telling them is, don't take God's forgiveness for granted. Don't take God's forgiveness for granted. This is a word of caution. That if you continue to think you can serve Yahweh, and yet also serve these false little G gods at the same time, and think that God's going to be okay with that, and that he's going to forgive that, think again. The fact that God is a forgiving God does not give his people license to go out and sin. As they, as they desire. Again, do we not today struggle with this same mentality? Well, I mean, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, right? My sin's been paid for, so, you know, I, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that, but it's okay because God will forgive me, right? He'll forgive me. What is that saying? It's better to ask for what? Forgiveness than permission. Do we not take that same mentality? Oh, well, you know, I don't know if I should, you know, ask God whether I should do this. And I'm just going to go do it. And I can always get his forgiveness later. We may not say it like that, but that's what our actions say. You see, genuine confession and genuine repentance are necessary if forgiveness is to occur. 
You see, when we go around just sinning and just thinking God's just going to forgive me no matter what I do, we cheapen God's grace. We cheapen God's grace. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Again, this verse tells us that turning away from God and serving false gods, little g, will only lead to God's judgment. Just because they were the people of God did not mean that God wouldn't break out the whooping stick on them. And just because we are God's people, don't think that God won't break out that whooping stick on us either. You see, we like to think and talk a lot about how God is this loving God, right? And we sing these songs, he's a good, good father, and he is. But what good father just lets his kids do whatever they want? No, right? When our kids get out of line, we lovingly help them get back in line. And sometimes that involves a little pain, right? And God does the same, right? The Bible says, for those whom the Lord loves, what? He disciplines, right? He disciplines. So as we look at this commitment that he's calling the people of Israel to, we see that it is an an exclusive commitment, right? It's exclusive. Again, God is a jealous God. He will not share his people with any false gods. In a sense, you're either all in or you're all out, right? There's no in-between here. You're either in with God or you're out. See, it's also a cautious commitment that he's calling them to. It seems as if Joshua was stopping them from simply rushing forward, right, to the altar to make this great commitment. commitment. It seems like he's almost, they're coming forward wanting to make this commitment, but he's saying, no, 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 you need to go back to your seat. And you need to think about this first. You know, um, when my kids were born, you know, obviously one of the first things I prayed for was that one day they would choose to follow Christ, that they would give their life to Christ. But in that, I had a fear. And that fear was, is that they would have a false conversion. You know, I was a youth minister for many years. And I remember taking kids to youth camp, kids that had grown up in church their whole lives, Right from the they were from the nursery to the youth group had been in Sunday school heard all the stories made professions of faith at VBS but then they go to youth camp and they're 16 years old and they come forward and they say you know what when I went forward at seven eight years old I didn't really know what I was doing I did it because my mom wanted me to do it or I thought that's what my mom and dad wanted I did it because I saw my friends going forward. And so that was, that was always my greatest fear with my kids, almost to the point where I was like, man, I am going to be, I'm going to swing the pendulum the other way. I'm going to, you know, go to the far extreme to make sure that these guys know and that they're ready. And I remember in our previous church, my oldest son, Kellen here, I remember uh, he had begun asking questions about the Lord and he was, you know, I could tell that he, the Lord was moving him. And I remember one Sunday I was preaching and at the end I was down at the invitation and he was sitting in, like almost in the same spot where he was sitting in this other church and he's looking at me and he's shaking his head like this and I'm like, no, you're, you're not ready. No, you know, because because we had had previous conversations and talking about being convicted of his sin, he really didn't understand that yet. And, and so he was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, 
you know, you're not. And then I remember not too many years ago, standing in the other church in town, and my other son, Grayson, standing there looking at me going like this, and I was like, no, you're not, you know? And then when he, I remember when he came down, I was thinking, oh, Lord God, is he ready? I don't know, Lord, right? Because I wanted to make sure you know what you're doing. Whoa, 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 don't just run up here. Make sure you know what you're doing because this is serious. The commitment to follow Christ is serious. It's not a game, folks. It is not a game. Joshua's not trying to drive the people from Yahweh, but he's trying to drive them to Yahweh. But our commitment to God must not be done, it must not be taken lightly, right? Or casually. It must be a cautious, it be, be cautiously, fearfully undertaken. 21 and 22, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. So again, the people affirm their commitment to Yahweh. And Joshua says, okay, you've chosen to serve the Lord. Don't forget this day. Don't forget, no one's forcing you. You're choosing. This is your free will you're exercising here. You're choosing. So, he says in verse 23, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord. Okay, you, you want to come forward? You want to make this commitment to follow Yahweh? Prove it. Prove it that this is important. Put away the gods that are in your midst. <laughs> Again, what irony, right? They're making this bold claim about how they love Yahweh and all that Yahweh has done for them, but yet they still have foreign gods in their midst, right? This is why I said earlier, their own confession stands against them because they're still clinging on to the past, trying to have feet in both worlds, Again, are we not just as guilty as they? I wonder if we were put on trial and our lives were to serve as evidence of our commitment to the Lord, how many of us would be found guilty? How many of us have allowed other things and other people to occupy the thrones of our hearts? Church, we are just as guilty today of serving false gods as the Israelites. Our gods just look a little bit different. He tells them to incline your hearts to the Lord. Basically what he's saying is, turn your heart to God. This indicates an attitude of commitment. It's a, it's, it's a, a call for an act of surrender to Yahweh. And then the, verse 24, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. They're just doubling down saying, no, we're affirming, we're in, we're all in with Yahweh and Yahweh alone. So church, I stand before you today and I proclaim this message that I believe God is speaking to us today, that he needs a greater commitment from his people just like in Joshua's day, God's people, the church, and I'm talking big C, I'm not just talking about First Baptist Church, but the church has allowed itself to be lured into serving other gods. 
Remember, what, what, what is a false god? It's anyone or anything that you have placed greater importance on than God. What are the gods that we find ourselves serving today? The God of materialism, right? We spend our lives chasing after this God, pursuing possessions. We pursue money and power and prestige. I think one of the greatest gods today that we pursue is this right here, technology. This is one of the main false gods that we struggle serving today. You know how I know? Because how many of us, and I've been guilty of this too, how many of us, when that alarm goes off in the morning, what's the first thing we pick up? We look at this right here. What text messages we received, what email we've received, what's been posted on social media. This is where we go first in the morning. That shows where our hearts are. Some have allowed leisure activities to become their God. They spend so much time pursuing hobbies. Others have allowed relationships to become their gods. They have placed more importance on their spouses, on their children, on their friendships than they do God. Are we to love our spouses? Absolutely. But our spouses cannot be number one. Has to be the Lord, right? It's God, family, and then friends, right? We have to keep those in the proper order. But one of the greatest gods that we fight today, that we battle, is the God of convenience, right? Think about it how we orient our lives. It's all about our convenience. What makes life easier for us? But you see, commitment runs contrary to convenience. Is it always convenient to love your neighbor? No, right? It's going to involve a lot of sacrifice to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not convenient, but yet God calls us to that. Is it convenient to serve in the kingdom of God? No, not always. God asks us to do some very difficult things, but yet God calls us to it. Is it convenient to steward our money well, to help those who are in need? No, it's not always easy. Sometimes that means we have to sacrifice buying something that we wanted to get in order to help meet someone else's need. Is it easy? No. Is it convenient? No. But yet God expects us to do it. He calls us to do it. Commitment is not about our convenience. So what can we do quickly as we close to make sure that we're all in with God? First, affirm Jesus' lordship over your life. Affirm Jesus' lordship over your life. He's not just the man upstairs. He's not just the keeper of the stars. He is God Almighty. He is the God-man, the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. Christ, again, as I said, Christ is not his last name. Christ means Lord in the Greek. He has earned the right to hold first place in your life, in my life. Because of what he did on the cross for us, he has earned that right. Secondly, do what Jesus taught. 
do what Jesus taught. You say, Pastor Justin, Jesus taught a lot of things. Yeah, he did. But you know what? He summarized it in, in one thing. He said, they said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? The whole law rests on those things. Do what he taught. And church, just being real honest, we don't have a, we, we know what he taught, right? We all know what Jesus expects. That's not the problem. The problem is, is we don't always do what we know Jesus has told us to do, right? I've used the example before. You remember the game Simon Says that you played as kids? That game is probably one of the easiest games really to win. It's simple. All you, all you have to do is one, listen, listen to what's said, and then do what you heard, right? Okay. It's the same when it comes to our walk with Christ. It really can be simple. You hear what he says, and then do it. Do it. Do what Jesus taught. And then lastly, do what Jesus did, right? Well, what did he do? When you look throughout scriptures, what did Jesus do? He met people where they were. He encountered people who were hurting, and he met people's needs. And in that process, then, he was able to not just meet their physical need, but meet their spiritual need as well. So do what Jesus did. So the question today, are you willing to go all in with God? A hen and a hog were walking by a church one day when they noticed the pastor's sermon title on the sign outside of the church. It read, what can we do to help the poor? The hen and the hog began to discuss this question as they continued along the way. And after a while, the hen says, hey, I have a bright idea. We can help the poor by giving them a ham and egg sandwich, or sandwich, breakfast. The hog said, oh, no, you don't. That only means a contribution from you, but it means I have to be all in, all right? God's not looking for just contributions from us. He wants us to go all in with him. So are we going all in? Are we ready to make that commitment? If so, it's going to mean casting aside some false gods, little g in our lives, so that we can have an unwavering devotion to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to go all in with him today? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. God, I pray that we would be willing to go all in because you went all in. You, you sent the very best, your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sin. So why would we not want to go all in with you? In Jesus' name, Lord, may you be blessed. May you, may you bless God this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never made that initial commitment to follow Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm telling you right now, there is no more important decision that you can make in this life than to choose to follow Jesus Christ. Because what you do with Christ in this life affects where you spend eternity. Maybe you're here today and you've already made the choice to follow Christ. You're walking with him, but maybe you're straddling that fence. Today, I want to challenge you. Make the choice. Who are you going to serve? Cast aside those false gods. They can do nothing for you. Fully invest yourself with him. Whatever decision needs to be